Welcome to Chicago Tabernacle, a place of becoming. Wherever you find yourself, we pray that you would be encouraged today by God's Word. Please join us now as we hear a message from Pastor Toledo. Okay, so we are starting now a three-week focus on the theme, Home for Christmas. And the reason we chose this year, Home for Christmas, is because I think everybody knows that home affects everything. Amen? How many know home? Everybody say home affects everything. We know that to be true. Home, whatever, wherever you call home is very, very powerful. It affects everything about us. It's um, kind of funny. Last week while the Dursals were here in, in our fellowship time, uh, Pastor Maria was sharing how uh, the Dursos are who are in that same space. When you become a, a grandparent, you, you can't have every holiday with your kids like you used to because when they get married, you know, they've got to go with the in-laws and there's a back and forth kind of thing. So this year was one of those years for them and they actually went away and they were out of the country. So on Thanksgiving Day... Their, uh, their middle son, who's a pastor, Jordan, who has three, um, three daughters, but like almost adult daughters. You know, I mean, one of them might be, the other, like two in their late teens. So they get a call on, on Thanksgiving, and they say, Mom and Dad, guess where we are? Uh, where are you? We said, where? They said, we're at your house. They said, you're having Thanksgiving at my house without even telling me? Yeah, we just, we just felt like we had to be here. How many know home is powerful and home affects everything? Amen? And that's the way it ought to be. It ought to be that way. And, and the wonderful thing about being a Christian is, is Jesus makes it possible for our homes to be so powerful. Now, there was a sociological study on the prisoners who were dramatically impacted by Hurricane Katrina, and it, it highlights how powerful this, this principle, this issue of home really is. The study was over the course of eight years, and it focused on all the people who came out of prison and found their world's uh, uh, destroyed because of the hurricane, and then it compared it to those whose homes were not destroyed. Listen to this. And listen, uh, you know, you remember how tragic and horrible that was. I mean, what an awful um, event in, in New Orleans. Um, I knew people, I didn't get to go there, but I knew many, many people who went there, and I mean, Katrina just destroyed so much. But something interesting came of this eight-year study. So listen to this. It turns out, there was a surprising result. It turns out that of the people whose homes and community weren't destroyed, 65, by the way, the study was on the, the, the concept of recidivism, which is how people habitually return to crime. So um, I should have said that earlier, but here we go. So the surprising result was that out of the people whose homes and communities weren't destroyed, 
65% of those people return to a life of crime. Now, on the other hand, those whose homes were totally destroyed and they were forced to start new lives, they ended up having a significantly lower rate of returning to prison because, so think about this, home affects everything. So the ones who went back and who didn't have homes, they had to literally restart their lives. They actually had a significant uh, um, uh, rate of return to a life of crime again. What does that tell you? What it tells you is, is that they were living in places that instead of being powerful, encouraging, uh, uplifting, transforming, the things that were going on in their homes were so negative that they actually contributed to their returning. Why? Because home affects everything. Anybody here thankful for a godly home? Could you put your hands together? And you know... I really thank you. I knew my. I, I give me give me a two second here. This is live. <laughs> <laughs> that song made me cry too much. Praise the Lord. Amen. So, so what, what the study revealed is, oh no, what I wanted to say is if you're a young person here and you're watching online or you're listening in, sometimes when we're young, we don't see life exactly the way our parents see them. But if your parents love the Lord... Okay, they, you, no one has perfect parents. But if your parents love the Lord and they're trying to serve God, be grateful. How many would say amen? Be grateful. So how do we overcome when we do grow up in a, in a messed up home, in a, in a crazy environment, and things that literally contribute to our internal dysfunction, pain, hurt, um, how do, how do we overcome these things? Well, it's through the Christmas story. The Christmas story is this humble but penetrating story that challenges our concept of home, of, of where we really belong, of who we really belong to, of what is it and who is it that actually creates a sense of shelter and protection for our lives. If, uh, if you go to school to become an architect, we look this up, it turns out that one of the things that they do is they actually start the students with what is a home. I want to cover that before I read the text today. Look, this is what, this is what they fundamentally say. First of all, home is a place of shelter. Secondly, home is a place of privacy and rest. Number three, home, by the way, we've, there's a, the list is longer, but we kind of just 
um, compacted it for the sake of, of the message. But home reflects identity and is a place of development of identity. We develop our identity based on what our home is like. And could I pause here? I know there's a long preamble today in today's message. But look, the, there's a, how many know, be it ever so humble, there's no place like, right? Can I give you a piece of advice? Make the most of whatever it is that you have. You know, I, I, I remember um, feeling so proud. I mean, you know, I was, I was 17 years old and a scout from the California Angels came to talk to, to me and, and my parents. And um, I'll not, I remember this like yesterday. So we had a, it was a two-bedroom apartment, three of us in one room, and... Um, you know, the washing machine was in the kitchen. Uh, you had the microwave washing machine, you know, it was like fridge. And, I mean, it was like we made it work. You know, the clothesline, everybody's, you know, underclothing was on the clothesline. That's the kind of situation it was. You just love that, don't you, right? And, um, but the guy comes, and we're talking, and he's looking around, and he says, I'm sorry, I'm so distracted. He said, this place is so clean, he said, you can eat off the floors. He says, what a beautiful apartment. And let me tell you something. It was like, you know, the Spanish people, they keep the plastic on the, on the sofa. <laughs> you know, it's like that. You know, you know what I'm talking about, plastic on the sofa. Yeah, now we're going way back, right? But still, it's like my mom, she did her best, my late mom, and can I tell you something? Little is much when God is in it. And if you're faithful with the small, how many know God will increase more and more and more? Amen? Hallelujah. I read this uh, uh, recently. Uh, a famous architect actually said this. I know I'm digressing, but I just felt like, oh, this is pastor dad talk, right? Look at what Frank Lloyd Wright said. He said, the longer I live, the more beautiful life becomes. That's the way it should be. He said, if you foolishly ignore beauty, you will soon find yourself without it. Your life will be impoverished, but if you invest in beauty, it will remain with you all the days of your life. I think that there's real wisdom to that. So let's make the most of what we have. Amen. Okay, that's not what the sermon is about per se, but let's keep going. That was, And then here's the last thing. Home is a place for connection and community. In other words, love. Home is a place for love. So let's turn now in Matthew chapter 1. We're looking at this episode of the Christmas story where Jesus was prophesied to, to le he left his home. There was a prophecy that he would leave his home and come, and this is the fulfillment of that prophecy. He left heaven, he left glory, he entered into this world so that you and I, if you're watching online, every person on the planet could find the real way home. Matthew chapter one. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was, was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. 
How did Jesus enter into this world supernaturally, but yet very deliberately so that he could be one of us, so he could identify, so that we would know he loved us that much, he humbled himself that much. So that we could know that he knows everything that we go through, he knows it because he became a man, became a human being. And it says, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly like it was too much. He was a man of faith, but this was too much for him. It says, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth. This is what they were singing about. The Holy Spirit made a virgin pregnant. Never before, never again. The Son of God, driven by the love of God, makes his entrance into this world in the simplest, most humble of ways, so that everyone born would say, he's like me, he wanted to be like me. No other religion, no other philosophy even comes close to matching what the Son of the Most High God actually did. Hallelujah! <laughs> the prophecy, she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Everyone say Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. A little bit more. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive hundreds of years before this happened. It was prophesied. And give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. Blessed be the word of the Lord. He came to be Emmanuel, God with us. In the Greek, listen to this. In the Greek, it's theos meta ego. Okay, now this word ego is a broad word. It's God with ego not only means us, it means me. It's, it was used both ways. They, the, the translators chose us, but it also meant me. It makes me think in Spanish, Dios conmigo. God with me. Why did he come as Emmanuel, God with us, God with me? It's because, brothers and sisters, home is a person. And that's the title of my message today. Home is a person. It's not the space where we live because that can change over and over and over again. It's not your apartment today. It's not those things are good and important and powerful. But our real home, brothers and sisters, is a person. The Holy Spirit is making a spiritual, social, emotional declaration that home begins with a person. In a lot of ways, 
The, the, what this is saying is the biggest, most powerful way to change your life is to make Jesus your home because home is a person and Jesus is our true home. Only Jesus, only Jesus wanted to and can come inside and live inside of your heart. Only Jesus can be the friend that sticks closer than a brother. Everywhere when you have Christ in you, you have the hope of glory. You have the counselor. You have the helper. You have the comforter right inside. Home is right here when you accept Jesus. Hallelujah. Only Jesus can take us to our real eternal home. No other person in history even scratches the surface of that. And so home is a person, and I, I pray that, that whether you're a Christian, whether you've accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, or, or, whether, or whether you've never have, I pray that you would make a, a, a Jesus home in a deeper, richer way than ever before. And look, I've got two quick application points, but I need to say this. All right, I brought the Bible up with me. I brought this Bible up with me because I need to emphasize that developing your relationship with Jesus, it begins with developing a relationship through, everybody say through, through his word. You understand? In other words, here's what I'm trying to say before I give you just two quick points. What I'm trying to say is this, is that when you really read the word of God and spend time with God, when you really hide the word of God in your heart, what starts to happen is your best day is not determined by how things go. Your best day is determined by the time you spent with your real home, with Jesus, your Lord and Savior, hallelujah. And you will find as you grow in God, as you fill yourself with the word of God, you will find that this word will be your doctor, your lawyer, your counselor, your comforter, your helper. The word of God will be everything. Your guide. Everything. And God, God is jealous to have that kind, for you to have that kind of relationship. So that even on bad days, you know, it's so funny, the more you grow in God, here's what happens. You, you have a great time with the Lord, and then you walk out, and the devil attacks, and the world goes crazy, and you're like, yeah, this is all jacked up, but I still, oh my goodness, what a great time with Jesus. Hallelujah. I hope, listen, you can have it. You can have it. You can have that kind of life in God. Before we, before we uh, uh, um, came out here and we prayed, I said a number of times, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is what? Sinking sand. Jesus is our home. So Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for the beautiful Christmas story I thank you for the story, Lord God, that, that so took in, uh, so was, was meant uh, and designed to meet all of our deepest needs. 
the deepest needs of our soul, of our emotions, oh God, of our hearts. Lord, it was there when you came to this earth that made it possible, Lord God, for all of who we are to be deeply satisfied. Even when, when parents fail and teachers fail and government fails, Lord, you never fail because you never leave us nor forsake us. So bless this word, Lord, Lord, and help us to make you home like never before. In the mighty name of Jesus, and everyone said, amen. Come on, let's praise Jesus one more time. Hallelujah. 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 Imagine Jesus started out homeless. There was no room for him to highlight that, our, that he is our home and that he'll take us home. So very quickly now. Very quickly now, um, what's it like? Okay, let's look at two powerful things that should be happening on an ongoing basis when we make Jesus, the person of Jesus, our home. So first of all, Jesus becomes our shelter. Jesus becomes our shelter. The Bible literally says the name of the Lord is a strong tower the righteous run into it and are saved. We put a lot of energy into shelter. Shelter first. Shelter is primary. Okay? Especially when you live in Chicago. Right? We need shelter. We put clothing on us. It, we, we clothe our bodies. It's a form of shelter. There's all kinds of shelters. There's tax shelters. There's this kind of shelter. There's bomb shelters. There's all kinds of shelters. And, and when Jesus really becomes who he wants to become for you, you have this abiding, supernatural, powerful shelter. He becomes our shelter. This is a very old principle, as old as, as the history of time, of history of the world. And listen to this. The philosopher Seneca, he, here's what he said. He said, seek shelter in philosophy as much as you can, Listen to this. It's very interesting. This is, this is first century, similar to the same time of Christ. So seek shelter, or maybe a little bit before. Seek shelter uh, in philosophy as much as you can. It will protect you in its womb. In its shrine, you will be safe or safer. Now, why did he say you will be safe or safer? Okay, here's what he was saying. He was saying, look, philosophy, if you think right, you're going to live right. And if you live right, things will go right. Right? And he was like, so, so take shelter in philosophy. In other words, think about how you live. And that was true, but it didn't hit the bullseye. You see, it didn't fully hit the bullseye. That's why he said safe or safer. Like, it'll, it'll make life a little bit better. But, but the truth of the matter is the reason it doesn't hit the bullseye is because it's not enough to know how to live. Only with Christ in us do we get the power to live. You understand, when we have Christ in us, the hope of glory, he leads, he guides, he energizes, and then literally he becomes our shelter. Look at, what the, look at what the Bible says. The Bible says the word became flesh and made his dwelling, his home among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. See, other philosophies have good things to offer. Other religions, they do 
have good things to offer, but Jesus is the complete truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Hallelujah. When you know the truth, the truth sets you free. There's something complete and total about Jesus. And he literally becomes our shelter. I remember talking to a brother years ago when he said, Pastor, they told me I have cancer. And I quoted Psalm 125 to him. I said, here's what we're going to do, brother. Could you put that up? Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken, but endures forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people, both now and forevermore. Even when we're sick, he's our shelter. Even when things are difficult, he's our shelter. He is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. He is the peace that surpasses all understanding. Jesus is our shelter. Listen to this psalm real quickly. When I tried to understand all of this, the, the psalmist was so troubled. He says, it troubled me deeply till I entered the sanctuary, the presence of God. Then I understood their final destiny. I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you, yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. On your worst day when you make Jesus home, he will take you. When you're being senseless, he's got you. When you're off, he's got us. How many are thankful for that kind of Savior, that kind of master? and Lord. Rejoice, Emmanuel is with us. Rejoice. Oh, Emmanuel is with us. Hallelujah. There's nothing and no one like Jesus. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So listen, who's your shelter today? Come on. There's more to shelter than four walls. There's more to shelter than a car. There's more to shelter than money. There's more to shelter than, than strategies. There is one. Hallelujah. His name is God with us, Emmanuel. He is our true shelter. And I'm telling you right now, if you're watching online, if, if you're in this room and you're really going through a hard time, Learn how to hide in Jesus. If they could send me a, 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 a musician, keyboard player. Learn how to hide in Jesus. Okay, over the years, you know, especially when you first start in the Lord, you know, I remember being a baby Christian and being so, I mean, I wasn't like a, you know, I didn't get in a lot of trouble, but, but I had plenty of sin in my life. And I remember battling with temptation, okay? And, uh, and by the way, you get tempted for the rest of your life. And whenever you get tempted, just know the devil will put thoughts in your mind and then he'll accuse you for the thoughts he put in you. That's the way he works. You know, read your Bible. You know, um, how, do you, how do you avoid sin? You hide the word of God in your heart. But anyway, I remember... The moment of revelation when God, this is over 30 years ago, where God changed my understanding of temptation. You see, because I remember the Lord, I, I, I probably wasn't even married yet. I remember the Lord 
kind of speaking to me and saying, look, you can always make excuses for why you fall. And even if you do fall, if you come to me, I'll forgive you. You know that, right? If you fall, if you fell last night, you come to Jesus, he'll forgive you. He will remember your sins no more. Hallelujah. He will wash you white as snow. He's rich in mercy. Listen, I remember this, the day changed my life, okay, where it was, look, it's not, it's not the environment, even though it is. It's not the, the issue, even though it is. It's not this. Here's what it is. When those kinds of things come at you, learn how to hide in me. Learn how to hide in me, okay? It's, it's not your, your, your boss, it's not your spouse, it's not your enemy. Let me tell you something, there is a place of quiet rest, a place where sin cannot molest. And what we do is we retreat and we hide in God. And let me tell you something, you know, why'd you, why'd you read the Bible or, or stay in the, in, in your room reading for so long to say, yo, I need to hide deep today. <laughs> I just, I need to hide deep. You know, he's our shelter. He's our shelter. And he just wants to give you this rich, vibrant, powerful, wonderful relationship. A relationship that so satisfies you that then things tempt you less because you're just good. That's the way it is. That's the way it's supposed to be with Christ. So he's our shelter. We can hide. Let's make the Lord our shelter. Here's the second thing, and then I, I need to close. The second thing that happens when we really make Jesus, the person of Jesus, our home, is that he nurtures us in private. He nurtures us in private. Now, when... When Chrissy and I were away, I actually, somebody gave me a book, and it was of a, a kind of businessman who's not only a businessman, but he's also a philosopher and an Italian guy, and um, I really enjoyed it. And uh, I mean, there were, there were just dozens of quotes um, of different philosophers, very, very interesting book. And here's what happened. He's, his company has become so successful that he was asked to speak to the G20, and he was also invited to go to Silicon Valley, you know, where all the tech companies are, and he spoke to the tech giants, okay, to the people who, uh, who hand us our computers and our phones and all of these, all the technology, and here's what he said. Listen to this. This is really, really powerful. He said to them, first, before I read this, he said, you are the Leonardo da Vinci's of the 21st century. You guys are the inventors of the future. But here's what he said. He said, you have to do everything that you can to humanize the internet and to make sure that it doesn't destroy our privacy because people cannot experience the restoration of their soul and stay healthy when they lose their 
privacy. This is kind of a paraphrased straight statement because he said it in slightly deeper ways. But the point is this. What he was saying is, look, uh, these phones that we carry, they follow us all around. They control our lives. You guys know way too much about people. And he's saying people need privacy. How many know that is true? Your soul can't be restored if you have no privacy. If all you do is run, 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 and you have no sense of privacy, you can't be a, a person who's healthy. You have to understand. Now, if you are all, all alone in private, you are so vulnerable. But when you have Christ in you, the hope of glory, he nurtures you, he grows you, he strengthens you in the private place. How many are thankful? That is our greatest need. And he has provided the answer to our greatest need. I'm not talking, we prayed against religion today. We said the spirit of religion is just, just acts and rituals. We're not talking about that. We're talking about a heart relationship with God. God wants to be with us and be our friend. You can have a relationship with Jesus. Everybody say relationship. Hallelujah. Listen to what Philippians 2.1 says. I'm almost done here. It says, your life in Christ makes you strong and his love comforts you. You have fellowship with the Spirit. We don't have to feel alone or lonely when we're having fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And you have kindness and compassion for one another. God ministers to you in private, and then you go and you give his love in public. That's the way it happens, but it's because he nurtures us. He nurtures us. I want to close by just um, reading this to you. So, uh, one of the brothers in our church gave us permission to um, kind of uh, give a journal entry. Okay, very bright, godly guy. Listen to this, and then we're going to close. I did my undergraduate studies at Columbia University in, in New York City. It is home to one of the most rigorous academic programs in the world. I would keep a jam-packed schedule of classes, papers, leadership, sports, and campus events so busy that it filled up every second of my day to the brim. I would study until 2 to 3 a.m. in the morning and then wake up at 6 a.m., rinse and repeat. By the end of, of finals every semester, I was a shell of a person. With a mind so active and a body so fatigued that I could barely focus on simple everyday tasks. After all was said and done, I felt accomplished yet dehumanized all at once. Accomplished yet dehumanized all at once. You call that the rat race. We can chase all kinds of things and we could even get a hold of them. But if in the private place we don't have someone, the only one, his name is Jesus, nurturing us, we literally become dehumanized. A little bit more. I lost my space. Hold on. Okay, I take the first flight home to Chicago after my last exam. I would arrive home exhausted, barely able to speak. 
uh, for the first few days. I'd eat mom's soup. Listen to my dad playing worship on his guitar and fall asleep on the couch. Oh, that dads would worship. Oh, that moms and dads would, oh, that there would be worship music in the house, right? He said, I'd slowly start to return to myself as I felt the comfort and full acceptance of home where the presence of Christ is central. Embrace me inside and out. But perhaps most of all, in a watching world that demanded me to always be strong, always sharp, always consistent, and never show any signs of weakness, returning to the fullness of home meant that I can finally, after months, break down and cry, and then have a bowl of mom's soup, and dad would place worship songs on his guitar. What is he saying? He's saying, look, even as I become successful, I realize that there's something deeper, way more important than that. I realize that there is a person who is my true home, and his name is Jesus. What does Jesus care about the most today? What does Jesus care about the most? He cares about your heart. That's what he cares about the most. He's not like, do you think that Jesus is really impressed by how much money we make or trophies or awards or whatever? Do you think Jesus is surprised and shocked by our sin? He's the Alpha and the Omega. He knows the beginning from the end. How many would say amen? And he still loves us with an everlasting love. And he says, I want to be your Lord, your master, your friend. 